this is the book report. And that was when I found a den of human traffickers living in my basement. Whew, I'm glad you weren't recording for any of that. Don't you live in an apartment complex? That was the weird part about it. <laughs> but it sounds like this sounds a lot more like you just stumbled onto somebody else's human trafficking in the parking garage of your building, unless right. that you found it's what it's where all human trafficking occurs. In oh wait, no, sorry, no. I'm just thinking about traffic. Oh. Damn. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm that sorry. That's humans. a that was where I got very got very lost. easy confusion. Yeah. Oh, that's awkward. I mean, I one's a... It wouldn't even really be a den at that point. True. One's a, an abhorrent evil that we all must realize exists every single day, and the other's human trafficking. Yeah, but I... Oh, God. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Oof. <laughs> all right, and today, because of Joel's joke there, if you would like to donate to our podcast, please instead direct your funds to a anti-human trafficking website in honor For real, of please. Please. God. Please do that. I thought it was a too good of a setup for a joke, which is like the worst, <laughs> worst possible bad stand-up comedian joke about traffic. You know what? Um, I appreciated yeah. it. Like uh, today during my classes, <laughs> I'm I'm having my students do um, a unit on modern, I don't know, social justice issues. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of my students picked gun violence because, you know, school shootings are a huge thing when you're a middle school kid. So a bunch of my kids like picked a huge gun thing violence. When you're every age, but, but now nah, you're missing the point. But I said, or they did gun violence. So I said, okay, so why'd you pick gun violence? And they said, oh, well, it's this big issue and it affects me because I'm a student and I don't want to get shot. Great. And then some other kids picked things like climate change and um, the border wall in Mexico. And then one kid picked overpopulation. And I look at him and I say, you know, you can just fix overpopulation with gun violence. <laughs> <laughs> My students oh, thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I just started following um, a subreddit called Self Aware Wolves. Um, Sounds like a furry conference. Like this is how it, you that's, you get groomed when I first, for having yeah, someone was, put a okay. Never stop mind. Up your neverwhere. So yeah, it was a it was a risky click, but it was on a. I follow like insane people Facebook and insane people on Twitter. It's just hilarious things that happen on Twitter. And on a That's particularly right. funny one, somebody just posted, you know, and they just post a link to another subreddit. And I was like, what the heck is werewolves about this? And it's a whole subreddit of people making points on social media that directly con that they think is making their point, but is actually like directly contradicting their own point. Okay. But it's so close, like it's it's like they're so close to getting it. <laughs> so it's self werewolves, and every okay. post on there is hilarious. That might be pretty funny. I've almost completely given up on Reddit. Um, it has an incredibly liberal bent to it, which turns into a bit of a circle jerk a lot of times. But the thing that really did it for me is that there was a um, there was a thing talking about how. Elizabeth Warren something something plan and then all of the comments were talking about how great charter schools are and charter schools are the future of education and everyone on Reddit Ew. was balls to the wall charter schools okay everyone on Reddit was like charter schools are the best we should all do them because they show that things work and the government gives them blah 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 three days later there was a post talking about how Betsy DeVos wants to defund uh, public schools and give money to charter schools and all of the comments on reddit were fuck betsy devos charter schools are the worst they should all burn in hell and i was like okay you all need to figure out what your opinions are oh yeah don't read and the i was comments. just like this is so stupid um i never read the comments you should on only read the comments ever, but you should only read the comments because it tells you who is posting to reddit which gives you a good insight to what the political leanings are Nah, so. I scroll it whenever Twitter is boring. I scroll through it. Dude, Twitter's always boring. It's only people from San Francisco and politicians. Twitter is – you're following the wrong people on Twitter. Mm, you're following Twitter, so you're inherently following the wrong people. Mm, says the Facebook user. I don't use Facebook. I've never used Facebook in the past year Ever. except to post things for this podcast. 
Well, that's As more than me. As per your request. Okay, I just I did only like did it because you couldn't remember your login. <laughs> I just did double finger guns to my computer like you could Lord. see me. <laughs> I may oh, have brother. problems. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> okay, so uh, what book are you telling me about this week? I don't know. Can we do the ones we hate yet? No, I have to prepare for that. Yeah, I but keep I didn't. This. But I didn't prepare for anything, which is why I'm stalling oh. right now. Okay, you can't. Okay, I I don't know. Like I feel like I want to do books we hate, but I feel like if we're trying to get more people to listen to the podcast and we are using those books like on Twitter and stuff to publicize our podcast, it's kind of weird to go on rants about how much we hate them. Oh, I think it'd be hilarious because I guarantee that if you linked or however you do things on Twitter to the author of the book, they would retweet us without listening to the podcast. And then the whole thing would just be us talking shit on their book. <laughs> okay. I think but that would I don't, be funny. I mean, yeah, it's a little funny, but I also don't want to like get authors mad at us or like get sued. It's okay. There's only one author we can get mad or who I'm going to talk about and I think they deserve it. So, I don't care if they're mad at me. They're a okay, they're a hack. Well, they don't deserve well, to will... have millions of dollars or have ever been published. I among mm, other things. I'm very weary about this, but I guess we're just we reviewing don't have to a book. Do it to, no, we don't have to do it today. You can nope. just tell me what your book is. I will get to my book. I'm just trying to think of something I've read that you haven't read, which is sometimes tricky. Well, it's okay. If you if I've read it too, that works. I think the original plan was to both announce what books we're doing, and if either person had read the other book, then we just talk about that one and don't care about spoilers the whole time. Yeah, but that completely but, changes my. Yeah, we thoughts. abandoned that for a while. So. Okay. I'm. I don't know what we were doing. Did we decide? Well, on you that? were. You were about to tell me what book you were doing. Oh, I'm doing. Just a go book with the original plan. I'll figure mine out. Okay, that works. I'm doing a book called Candor by Pam Bachors, Back Backerts. It's B-A-C-H-O-R-Z. Oh, I've read that. that. You've read it? No. Oh. I got really, really excited because no one's ever heard of this book. Yeah, me either. Literally okay. never read it. But going back to how do you pronounce B-A-C-H-O-R-Z? I don't know. However you pronounce like, it. I will go with you. It's your book, so... Batchors doesn't sound right. Backer. Sounds great. Pam Backer. Great. I'm going to call her Backer. Also sounds great. Okay. So uh, I haven't read this book since like for years. And the first time I read it, I read it in a single setting. And I was crying my eyes out at the end of it. And because of that, I can't completely tell you why, like why it affected me so much. But it's one of maybe three books I've ever legitimately read in a single setting. Um, I don't count short novels anyone could read in one setting. But like a genuinely – I sat down, started reading this book, and didn't move until I finished it. Okay. Uh, and the only other time – I know I've done this with a couple of books, but the only other one I specifically remember doing that was um, The Martian. And that night I stayed up to like 3 a.m. <laughs> um, but this one I – was in high school and I read through my entire lunch break to finish this book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the gist of it is it's a boil down to really quick. It's like a high school Stepford wives okay. um, setting. So it's the story of a small idealistic community in Florida, as if you can have an idealistic community in Florida. Um, and the, Main character is like the perfect son of its founder, and this kid has a rebellious little secret. So Candor is this like affluent, really upper middle class to super rich community where uh, it's known for turning troubled kids into good kids. So parents move to town, bring their troubled kids, and then the old time charm of this idealistic community eventually calms and betters their children. Uh, the whole thing's about there, there are no problems here. There are no problem childs here. However, sometimes kids just up and go missing. And something has been uh, 
messing up the community and people have been spraying graffiti, tagging things, um, and disturbing the peace. The, uh, and this is a little bit spoilery, but it's kind of the whole gist of the book, so I might as well give it away. Um, Oscar, the main character, he has figured out what his dad is doing to make the town so idyllic and peaceful, and he's running a long con um, to A, make money, B, not be brainwashed by the community, and C, get people out slowly. And it's not like and a girl has come to town that he wants to protect. He doesn't want her to change because he fell for her immediately. You know, it's a teen novel. That's what happens in him. But he doesn't want her to change and become one of the Stepford children, part of this community. So he's trying to uh, he's trying to use his dad's skills and his dad's like manipulation to against him, but to also not let this girl change. And he's all conflicted about what that means. Am I as bad as my dad? And that's the whole dramatic tension of the story. Did you ever uh, watch um, the Hulu series The Path? The what? The, the Path? Path. It, about the cult? Yeah. yeah, it has like Aaron Paul in it. Yeah, I have not seen it, but I've seen all the trailers for it. It's pretty good, and it sounds very similar to this idea. Um, obviously not the same setting or anything, but it's kind of got the same thing where you've got this this cultish, idyllic community that actually seems pretty nice, and uh, there's obviously someone trying to get out of it and trying to commit. And it's just an interesting walk through the life in the day. Yeah. It's very much a coming of age style novel, but one where obviously there are other things going on in the background that is very confusing and dramatic and, you know, family issues, but it's all through a high schooler's lens. So imagine you discovered a, weird conspiracy going on that your family is intricately involved in while you're also dealing with first loves and high school tests and planning college and all that stuff at the same time. And I think I was about a junior when I read this in high school. So it all like just, it was, it was my voice in the story. That's probably why it hit me so hard, but I was legitimately crying at the end of the book and I had some uh, underclassmen friends like that I missed lunch with them and they had library the next period or something and came into the library and I'm bawling my eyes out in the back of the library. Like, um, well, if I wasn't a loser before for having underclassmen friends, I definitely am now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, were you, you bullied a lot in school? Did you get beat up often? No, I just didn't care in high school. I didn't join anything. I was, I've never been a joiner. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a very simple story, simple setting, but it's incredibly deeply engrossing and emotional. Uh, I believe it was Pam Backer's debut novel, so the writing isn't always perfect, and you can see some of the twists coming a, a while off, but it's still extremely emotional, and each moment yeah. hit really, really strong. I, I wish I could remember exactly why I couldn't put this book down. But I couldn't put it down, and that should be enough praise to get people to read it. Okay. Because my opinion matters. <laughs> it doesn't, but it's nice that you think it does. It's cute. Rude. Nantucket. Nantucket with the bucket. Well, I'm guessing that, that signals the end of your, your – No, I'm on my game yes. tonight. I don't, have a, I don't have a final hook, really, other That's than right. I literally sat for about two and a half hours and read this entire book. Okay. And I don't know how to give something more praise than that. <laughs> I mean, I like anything that's kind of that whole motif. So yeah. I, you know. If I'm if I was framing this for, specifically for you, which I guess I am. Um, <laughs> Gee, thanks. It is the. It is very cultic. It is. It's. Uh, it's not the secret. Isn't that it's a cult, but it is very cultic, and to the point of where the bad guys don't. No, I mean, I guess most of the time bad guys don't believe they're bad, but this time they have a genuine goal that is altruistic even, but um, have let themselves buy into their own press or their own lie, which is like kind of the beginnings of all cultic leadership is 
you start believing your own lie. And that leads down very terrible paths, historically. Okay. All right. All right. Well, what are you my me turn. About? So I'm actually going to talk about one of my favorite books I've ever read um, okay. that I tend to forget I have read. And uh, have you ever heard of the author Louis L'Amour? Yes. Okay. So Louis L'Amour almost – well, Louis L'Amour almost always writes um, like Western novels, kind of like the um, spaghetti Westerns that were popular in Hollywood basically mm -hmm. around the same time that he was prolific in writing and all this stuff. If you've ever been to a library, there's usually a section a half a mile long of his Western novels. Yeah, this book is not a Western. It's one of the only books that he didn't write set in the American West. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's called The Walking Drum, and it is a historical novel set in the Middle Ages, specifically uh, like the 1100s in Europe, which is super standard. But then the Middle East plays a huge role in it as well. So like and that's, Crusades period? Yes, sort of, sort of. But it doesn't really deal a whole lot with the Crusades. It deals more with um, the Silk Road and the... Uh, intellectual upper class of um, the the uh, Middle Eastern areas. Um, it talks a lot about how they were really into poetry and science and all these things, and they're going through the Russian steppes, and they end up meeting, um, like, have you heard of the old man of the mountain? If not, it's okay. It's basically what the assassins that are That sounds familiar, of. but I can't place it. The old man it's, of the it's, mountain. It's what the assassins are original that's where they come from like the hashashans oh okay. um, gotcha 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 yeah so it's just a really interesting novel that is set in a different setting than what you're generally used to because you got this kind of um western european look at moorish culture so you know the area of southern spain and kind of going into um constantinople dropping down into i think they go into Maybe Iraq, but back when Iraq was cool and not a bombed out hellscape. <laughs> so, okay. When you say um, historic, do you mean historic fiction or is this like a real story? No, it's historic fiction. It's not about a real okay. person. That would be boring. Come on. Um, We've done that's several actually not fiction books. Actually, Marco Polo's, <laughs> Marco Polo's novel is actually very interesting, but um, there's a lot of Wait, debate Marco over Polo whether that is real or not. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I mean, he wrote, it's like, like one of those you know, might he be wrote real it. histories. He wrote it. Um, there's a pretty good chance that it's fairly accurate, but some of his stuff is kind of fantastical, so it's you know it's up for grabs. Yeah, well, basically, history back then. I listened to our fake history podcast, and back then, most history writers like had they, they all felt they had to imbue a bunch of fiction into them. For some, and it was like generally accepted that historical stuff or travel stuff was I wouldn't, only about – I wouldn't put it that way. I wouldn't say that they impose fiction into it. It's more that they, they romanticize it. So it's not okay. that they are trying to intentionally deceive you or tell a story. It's that they're telling as it should be told in their eyes. Gotcha. They're more they're, – they're, okay. Romanticizing works. Yeah. So. Anyways, okay. What is the book called? The Walking Drum. Walking um, the walking okay. drum, basically because the whole thing is kind of like they're in a car caravan and they're traveling and they're marching to the beat of the drum. So it's the walking drum and it keeps time and everyone's in cadence with it. Um, it's a really interesting book. I absolutely loved it. It was the first in a trilogy, but then Louis L'Amour died before he could write the second and third books. Oh, dang. Um, so it's it unfinished? Has a, it has or a, does it... No, it has, it has a complete story arc, but it's kind of like a complete story arc where there's just enough of a cliffhanger that you can make more if you want to, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Like the end of modern movies where they they wrap it up, but just enough. Yeah, they wrap it up, or I would almost liken it to those in-credit scenes in a Marvel movie where like, the entire movie is self-contained, but then if you stay for the end credits, there's just a little teaser to make you think, oh, okay, something else is going to happen. Woo. Right, right. 
So but, what is the story, though? You've told me the setting, and that's it. So there's a guy. Um, he is escaping his homeland um, because there's this this guy who kills his mother. So he kills is. His, did you say mother or brother? Sorry. Mom. His mama. Okay. So there's a, a d bag who kills the main character's mom, and so the main character flees in order to seek his father. Um, and uh, through this period, he basically has to serve as a slave on a ship initially, but he works his way up to becoming a pilot. Um, and the the most of the story is just him trying to find his dad, which is kind of an interesting storyline because that's almost a weird thing to do um you usually don't run into characters who are just searching for a long lost relative that's not usually the unless you're playing the, a video game but yeah <laughs> right this story arc i guess gods of war sure but um <laughs> um and then beyond that i don't a hundred percent remember exactly what the story is because i read this book like a decade and a half ago. I just remember that most of the things that I know about Middle Eastern, Middle Ages culture, I learned from this book. Like this book yeah. taught me what Damascus steel was. It taught me what the old man of the mountain and the Hashashians were. It taught me that the Middle East was a hub of science and learning and that poetry was a hugely important part of the culture. Um, and it was well, just that's... really, really well done because it all stuck with me pretty well. Well, except for apparently the plot, but <laughs> I don't care about the plot. I was so no. mad that he died before he could finish the second and third books. But that is it. actually like I love learning about cultures that we don't, you know, get a lot of representation of. Yeah. Um, I love reading stuff set in. I mean, more and more we're getting a bunch of uh, uh, Asian stories that are becoming more popular in the United States, especially in movies. Right, we, like I know that my Middle wife we don't absolutely, like. <laughs> my wife absolutely loved reading Memoirs of a Geisha just because she felt like it gave her a lot of really interesting information. Um, yeah. It wasn't so much the story that was driving her interest and curiosity, it was the fact that she was learning about what it was like to be a geisha in Japan. And she was like, this is crazy, did you know that they did this, this, and this? And I think that is a real need in literature. You don't get a lot of books that are really good at just teaching you something that you didn't know before while also capturing your interest through a story. Yeah. I feel like the, the best books are always ones that you, I mean, that are a good story and you learn something from like you just, mm -hmm. your eyes are open to a part of the world that you don't know anything about. Right. Those are always the best stories. Well, it's kind of the whole thing where, um, books are essentially the poor man's way to travel the world. And, uh, then there's, uh, there's that a quote, quote about that. Well, there's a quote that says, um, most men live one life. The man who reads lives a thousand lives or something like that. Yeah. And I think they're kind of similar ideas because it really is true that if you read a book about a foreign place, it transports you there and you might not fully understand, you know, if the book is set in the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, you're not actually going to know what it looks like, but you might get the feel of what it is to be walking through that area or walking along the streets of Turkey. And I don't know. It's one of the best parts of reading in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, so there's this quote. It doesn't say who it's by. I was looking for it. Um, Books are the plane and the train and the road. They are the destination and the journey. They are home. No, I hate That's that. That's too modeling for me. <laughs> All right. Well, no, it sounds like said, some guy is standing up at a mic in open mic night at a slam poetry thing. And that's well, all say, he says. And then the entire room is just like, yeah, man, you get it. That's it. That's it. That's all it is, man. Fine. And he's got a stupid slouched beanie on the back of his head. And he's got like a shirt that's unbuttoned just one too many times. And he's got too many necklaces and a couple dozen bracelets on. Hmm, sounds kind of cute. Wow. All right. <laughs> so you 
I don't believe for one minute you would ever date someone who did slam poetry I as their hobby. I know. This was an attempt to throw a tree in the path of your train so I could no, I know take you over would. the you conversation. <laughs> I really probably would. You would hit them in the face the first time they spoke. <laughs> hmm. No, I was going to say, St. Augustine said, I think this is the quote you were looking for, the world is a book and those who do not travel – uh, those who do not travel have only read oh, one page. Only read page, yeah. That's better. That's better. Still sounds kind of like something Dr. Seuss wrote when he wasn't trying to rhyme everything, but it's better. Or be racist, yeah. Why do people got to do that? Like, why do you got to gotta ruin? And it's not even ruin. Like, you're taking someone who lived in a different <laughs> time know, and addressing modern sensibilities to how they behave. It's just... I, think I had a it's history probably... teacher in high school who did that. Like we were all walking through who our favorite presidents were. And most like, you know, most of the guys were like, oh, Teddy Roosevelt, because he boxed people on the lawn and he would go hunting in Africa and blah, blah, blah. And our teacher was like, oh, well, that's fine. If you're OK, liking a racist. It's like, dude, yeah. he lived in the 1910s. Of course, he was racist. It's... Everyone I was racist. It... it goes back to the little bit of narcissism was like, I know something you don't know. Idea, even though and... I know that, you know. Seuss made anti-Japanese cartoons, but it was World War II and weird, weird time. Honestly, yeah. if if you lived in America in that time, I think you would be racist against the Japanese just because I mean, they probably. bombed Hawaii. The past, the past is a foreign country and all that. Well, also, I don't know if you've listened to um, anything that Dan Carlin does on his podcast, Hardcore History. He has a mm -hmm. new one out that goes through um the rise of japan during world war ii and it is fascinating and it really paints the japanese in a different light because nowadays we think of them as this cutesy culture that has mascots right. for everything and is just adorable with anime and whatever um they were mean and brutal and just they 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 were out for blood um i mean yeah once again I don't know much about history at all, but I know that every time I look into it, I realize my perceptions of everything is just very wrong from oh, a historic standpoint. Like um, Japan for a while was in control of most of China. And when I was mm -hmm. in China, um, in the city I was in, everyone loved to eat like crawfish, okay? And it was the weirdest thing. And so one day I asked like, why do you guys like crawfish so much? And the – person I was talking to said, well, back when the Japanese were occupying China, the Japanese brought in thousands and thousands of crawfish and threw them into our rice paddies because the crawfish will destroy the crop and they were trying to starve us to death. And That's so we just clever. learned to eat crawfish instead of rice. I mean, brutal and awful, but clever. Yeah. So it was crazy. Oh, and then there was a new story that just came out that talked about how, um, in the Japanese army during World War II, they would assign one woman of comfort for, I think it was 70 men. Gross. Yeah, horrifying, right? Very. Mm hmm. All right. Well, now that that image is in all of our listeners' heads. Hey, no one ever said this was a podcast for kids. <laughs> However, you're right. I don't think Take a look. It's in the book Reading Rainbow. Reading, I can fly twice as hot. No, wait, how's it? Butterflies Dude, in the sky. Dude, don't you dare try and sing. We will lose I us can all fly of our twice. Okay. For those of you rude. who don't know, Joel is tone deaf. Not incorrect, but rude. Completely tone. My other roommate in college and I both tried to teach him to sing, and it was This has already been said on the podcast. At this point, it just feels like shaming. It. And I don't remember <laughs> talking about this, but we need to just bring it up again. Joel can't sing, is tone deaf. Doesn't understand when things are out of personality. Well, that's that's not really that true either. <laughs> Dude, you got to take something. <laughs> I feel like there's more to the life than knowing how to knowing what a tune is and having a good personality. Listen, we can either talk about your great skills. personality or we can talk <laughs> about your extensive collection of furry costumes. It is up to you. No. No. Up to you, bud. Furries are terrifying. They're, they're literally terrifying. No, well, they tell you to face your fears. I don't I don't want to at all. Smart. Real smart. 
will you will you read candor i don't think i will um okay sorry the biggest reason you actually had me for a while but then you said that it was kind of from the view of a high schooler and for whatever That's reason fair. um there are several books i've read that are like that and they always have a weird feel about them um and I don't know if it's because the author is trying too hard to get into like the angsty vibe of being a teenager or if they just mm -hmm. missed the mark. But I generally struggle to get through books like that. Which is weird because you like YA more than I do. I don't know if I like YA. It just happens that large amounts of fantasy skew towards YA because otherwise gotcha. you end up with, I don't know, some really dark crap. Okay, well, I think we did but this. It's possible. I might like YA more than you. I just I struggle with. I think it's that I struggle with, um, like young adult fiction set in the real world, because it's too real for me. I'm like, I don't. Interesting. Well, there so was you need um, man, fantastical yeah. to relate to it. That makes sense. Yeah, I probably. Guess. My head's too far on the clouds. <laughs> well, uh, the the marching drum or the the drum one. I have tried to read Louis L'Amour, Louis L'Amour, several times and bored out of my mind in every single one of his books. But this being not a Western intrigues me and I will have to give it a shot. Cool. But That's I surprising because I did not give you enough to go off of. Well, like, he's this celebrated author and I like to at least check out anybody who is you know, has stood the test of time, but I've tried a few of his books. I own one, and I just got so bored and couldn't get through them. Western is just very much not my genre. Um, if it makes you feel better, I tried a couple, a couple of his westerns, and I couldn't read those either. Yeah, I just could not stand it. But yeah, I do like giving authors a shot, especially if they're this well renowned. So I will have to give his non-western book a try. Cool. Well, that's exciting. I don't feel right, like I, I mean, deserve that win today. I don't think that was a win. That was a begrudging draw. <laughs> oh, this is funny. So I was just skimming the dusk jacket of this book, and mm -hmm. uh, the very last line says, uh, blah, 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 that you will find every bit as riveting as Louis L'Amour's Stories of the American West. Oof. Oh. Mm. Well, that's Sorry, not my praise. <laughs> I'm going to do the whole read a sample of this book thing or okay. check it out from the library. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to read my book jacket. I know we're going fast today. A, I have a deadline. And B, we have a new section we're going to introduce at the end of the book condoms. Also, Joel so, has a quick interview as to do on Fox News. Yes. I need to talk about why I volunteer to be built into the wall. Um, <laughs> so, no candor. <laughs> I know. That's the first thing I could come up with. It's real weird. <laughs> In the model community of Candor, Florida, every teen wants to be like Oscar Banks, the son of the town's founder. Oscar earns straight A's, is the student body president, and is in demand for every club and cause. But Oscar has a secret. He knows that parents bring their teens to candor to make them respectful, compliant, perfect, through subliminal messages that carefully correct and control their behavior. I didn't realize, this is an aside, I did not realize it gave that away in the dust jacket. Um, <laughs> Oscar's built a business sabotaging his father's scheme with messages of his own, getting his clients out before their turn. After all, who would ever suspect the perfect Oscar Banks? Then he meets Nia, the girl he can't stand to see changed. Saving Nia means losing her forever. Keeping her in candor, Oscar risks exposure. And so much more. That gives okay. a lot away, but that just kind of strengthens the idea that this isn't about the... The story is basic cold. and Got simple, it. but it's very, okay. very emotional. All right. Well, I'll say, yeah, all right. Maybe, maybe someday if I'm, like, on an airplane, might read it. I mean, it's a short read. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. All right. The okay. Walking Drum by Louis L'Amour. <clears throat> Here is an ex... Wow. I hate it when they do that. And historic. And historic. <laughs> Here is 
an historic adventure of extraordinary power waiting to sweep you away to exotic lands as one of the most popular writers of our time conquers new storytelling worlds. Louis L'Amour has been best known for his ability to capture the spirit and drama of the authentic American West. Now he guides his readers to an even more distant frontier, the enthralling lands of the 12th century. At the center of the walking drum is Kerbouchard, one of L'Amour's greatest heroes. Warrior, lover, scholar, Kerbouchard is a daring seeker of knowledge and fortune bound on a journey of enormous challenge, danger, and revenge. Across the Europe, the Russian steppes, and through the Byzantine wonder of Constantinople, gateway to Asia, Kerbouchard is thrust into the heart of the treacheries, passions, violence, and dazzling wonders of a magnificent time. From castle to slave galley, from sword rack battlefields to a princess's secret chamber, heyo, and ultimately to the impregnable fortress of the Valley of Assassins, the walking drum is a powerful adventure of an ancient world you will find every bit as riveting as Louis L'Amour's stories of the American West. I swear to God, that entire thing was one run-on sentence. Oh my god, it sounded so much like the guy was just like, please read this, please read this, I know it's not yep. a western, and you only like Louis Lamar for westerns, but please read this. That's exactly what it so sounds like. begging in a dust Oh my jacket. god. Like, I just want to go back to um, the description of the main character. Warrior, lover, scholar, he's a daring seeker of knowledge and fortune, bound on a journey of enormous challenge, danger, and revenge. So many mm. adjectives. Yeah, so just, many just trying so so hard. Oh my god! Give it a That's rest. Not good dusk jacket yeah, like, writer. Shut up! Shut the I hell really, up! I really want that to be my job. I want to go apply to publishing companies and be like, "Can I just write the dust jackets? Because they're all terrible. They're all so terrible." Fix them? Yeah. Oh man. Well, <laughs> I stand by my decision to um, maybe read it. No, that's fair. <laughs> That is absolutely fair. It's wow, that dust jacket. I, oof. I wonder if the whole book is like that. Now I feel like I need to go back and read through it just to make sure I'm not running. Make you sure it's not just like one giant sentence. Yeah, it's no like, punctuation. Uh, yeah, like Terry Pratchett. You know how he doesn't um, do chapters. Maybe this guy doesn't do pyramid periods. <laughs> no periods, no commas. Every now and then an apostrophe, but those are you know the rare semicolon. Well. Just to let you know, I haven't forgotten about you. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, um, for general audience listeners, we're going to go into a new section that and we also devised. captains, privates, and lieutenant listeners. Yes, um, <laughs> and joke, general civilians. We need like a, a buzzer well. that just goes boo. Just bad joke or boo buzzer. <laughs> I like right. a boo buzzer. A boob buzzer. A boob buzzer would be good. I would too. touch that. <laughs> I would touch a boob buzzer. Anywho, um, uh, Anywho, we want huh? to let you cut out now if you haven't read any of the Lightbringer series, which was one of the very first books. In fact, it was in the first episode a book Stephen recommended that I have just about finished the second book in the series. And we've been texting about it a little bit, but we thought, why don't we just save this for the podcast and have some read-along-with-us discussions of the books that we've already recommended so we're going to do the Lightbringer for a little bit until i finish up with the series and then we might do some other ones that we've recommended in the past so if you've read the books or don't care about spoilers uh keep tuning in if not um remember to like share and subscribe uh follow us on what's our facebook and twitter the um, book underscore or the book report underscore pod something like that oh twitter is How do you book not know? Underscore you created pod. it i had to look for it don't look at my own screen name every time the twitter book is book podcast, underscore professionalism pod. at its finest <laughs> facebook is at book report podcast instagram is at the book report pod um and then you can email us at book report pod at gmail.com uh so yeah thank you for listening like share subscribe and the rest of this is going to be spoilers for the Lightbringer books. Anyways. Okay, so I haven't finished the second book. I don't know if there's any more surprises for me in the second book. But I want to know from you, because I know we already talked about this, did I spoil something for myself by guessing the twist 
that um, we talked about yesterday. Should we talk about that or should we leave? I that mean, we off? might as well listen. If all right, if you are listening and you have not yet read the Lightbringer trilogy, just turn it off right now because it'll ruin the books for you. Um, anyways, so yeah, go ahead and talk about the issue. Okay, so I called by the end of the first book that um, his his not twin, but basically the twin Dazen. brother, Gedazen, yeah, go. was not actually in prison underneath the tower or whatever, but was just dead already or something. But I called that that was all in his head. It seemed very obvious by the end of the book, and I'm really not sure why, but it just, by the end of it, I was like, this can't be, he's not real. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, but that undoes all of this stuff. Is there a reason that I shouldn't know that? Is it going to be, is it going to ruin a surprise ending of a book coming up? So I think, I think that Brent Weeks, um, he was definitely trying to keep it under wraps. I think he wanted it to be a big reveal, but it also, when he reveals it, the fact that Days and Guile is not in the prison is only a part of the reveal. It's it's a very layered okay. thing. Um, so so it, I don't really think that it ruins anything for you. It just kind of puts you ahead of the curve as far as what's going on. Because when well, they start to reveal everything going on with that, there's a lot to unpack. Well, I found myself going through the second book wanting to skip every single chapter that was this figment of his imagination in the prison. I didn't. But I wanted to skip them every single time because I had called it in the last book. You should like, just, just because it gives you a bit of an insight into Gavin's character. Right. But the I feel like a big build up, and again, this is all spoiler. A big build up in the second book was building up to him finally killing his brother. But it set it up like it was him finally gonna free his brother. And the whole time I was like, but his brother doesn't actually exist. So this is just a bullshit like side story that's trying to build tension that I don't need because I don't believe in it. Um, so that was kind sure. of annoying. I will well, I say think, I think for most second. people it's probably an okay story arc though because most people like for for me when I read a book I actively avoid trying to guess what's going to happen next because I like See, the I author I like the author <laughs> surprise me you on the other hand you try and guess the end of the book 3 pages it's in It's not so that I try it's just that I no, can't No you actively try like you I sit mean, there and your sometimes. brain turns and you fume about what is going on But I can't I can't let things sit and when you sprinkle in evidence for me, like it's supposed to be a mystery, I'm not – I can't just let that ride. I can't do it. I have to sure. be like, wait a second. Why did he say that specific thing? And so a couple other things like that. I haven't worked them out. I haven't figured out what the twist is. But a bunch of other stuff like um, like the fact that there are more colors than obviously the spectrum, that was duh in the first book. But then – I have a real problem, and I, I know this is me trying to apply science to um, fantasy, but I have a real problem with the way the spectrum is laid out. Um, when it finally starts giving you details about how the spectrum, how, how light splitting and, and light bending works, when the character uh, per, uh, can, can draft peril, right. which is below subred, so down into microwaves and um, uh, other kinds of that kind of – and almost to radio waves. I think it's actually like probably not quite to microwaves. But they use it to like see through things and I'm like, why are they telling me she's an X-ray? But X-ray is above ultraviolet, not below infrared. Does he have the spectrum backwards? And that was really bothering me. Mm. And okay. – I know it kind of like I, I guess it would kind of have the same effect if you could actually see radiation, but in reality you would just be able to see radiation. You wouldn't be able to see through things. You would just be able to see and it's weird because everything else is described correctly. Like if you can see into infrared you would see heat sources, which is its own form of radiation. If you could see even further below so the I think spectrum, that one you would of the see things with with once he starts getting outside of, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, and once he gets outside of those, um, even I felt like he was starting to stretch a little bit. Um, okay. But at the same point, I, it didn't necessarily bother me because it opens up new possibilities for things right, that people right. can do. And the, I just can't let them go. <laughs> the thing I appreciate about his color magic system is that it is 
pretty limited. So you can only draft your color if you can see it. Um, and the more you draft, the faster you die. I appreciate right. that because it, is it a very, really helps. A... It helps avoid the I'm an all powerful super being who can draft as much blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And not only is it like a clever magic system, but it's very well worked into the world because literally everything is set up about it and it's just obvious. So that it takes you two books to even kind of get a handle on how it all works and you still know there's a whole bunch you don't know because yeah. they don't ever really have a moment where they set you down and like, okay, here's how the color spectrum work. Yellow is the center in this universe and it's both the hardest and the most unstable, and then breaks it down from there. It get mm -hmm. like it gives you that information, but only tangentially, which I right. like. And oh, but sure. and I I do like the story. I like that this one kept me guessing about, like I, I knew the end results. You, mm -hmm. you kind of know them going in because it's a it's a fantasy novel. You kind of know how some of the setup has to happen, but you don't know how you're going to get there. And every time you have some expectations about something that's going to happen, they throw a wrench. I like that, but right. I keep – and it might just because I'm listening to it mostly instead of just reading it, but it keeps – I keep letting my mind wander into, wait, but how does that work that way? That doesn't make sense with what we've already learned. Oh, okay. Sure. And I do, I do really, really, really like that this time they were like also bending color and bending light is not the only way you can use light magic in this world. And mm -hmm. they introduce to the people who are seers and the mirror and the fact that there's extra powers out there that we don't know anything about. That was really clever too. And to just sprinkle them in there and to not really let you dwell on them. I liked that. Yeah. And they play off of that idea really well in a few, maybe the next novel after the one you're in or the one after that. I start to get confused because I read them all in the same week. And gotcha. so to me, they all are the first book and they're super not. <laughs> um, but they start to play with the idea that the Chromaria is basically this gigantic, overgrown religious institution that has tried very hard to put forth its ideas of the color magic system and repress and suppress anything that didn't fit into their worldview. Right. Um, and part, and I think that that, that was pretty up. well done as well. Yeah. That's come up, but to have the whole dang thing presented to you via a card game felt so juvenile. I got you. I don't know. That bothered me so much. I was like, are we really getting the fi finally getting the history of this world through a card game? The those fact cards, that we, those cards, the cards are, are cool. Badass. Nope. No, it no, sounds not awesome. Yet. Not yet. They become cool. Okay. Like everything about them already sounds awesome, but it also feels very juvenile as a way to give you backstory you needed. The, the, if they, when they finally started giving you glimpses into the prism war at the end of this book, when he's talking to, when Davin is talking to the Blackguard chick, mm -hmm. I can't think of her name. Karis. Karis, yeah. Um, when he finally, like, and, and he doesn't even, they don't go into details, but he gives you, like, the shape of the whole war. I was like, thank God they did it that way, because if they yeah. would have given me, the history of the Prism War, be of those stupid cards, I would have been very angry. <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. It just because all every time it did that, it just was like, okay, that's a weird, out of nowhere. I mean, obviously you couldn't think of a better way to present this information, and I don't like that you had to do it via cards. It just feel I don't know why that feels so weird, but it feels like I don't know. I feel it's like when you're watching cartoons as a kid. Every single one had to have a card game tie-in, and this just feels okay. like that. It makes it feel juvenile. So I didn't watch the same types of things that you did, so I didn't watch like you know Yu-Gi-Oh or anything like that. So to me, well, I didn't the card watch game most thing, of them, but but isn't, like isn't that much of a trope? But Pokemon and did you? Every single car, kids cartoon had a card game when we were okay. growing up. Even if I only watched one or two of them, hey man, Brent Weeks knows his base. Reason. I mean, apparently, he's got me reading all the books and talking about them on a podcast. That's true. It's a masterclass right there. Yeah. And then they, I will say, if it's juvenile, if it's a little annoying, he did use it to also layer in some extra storytelling chapters that it hasn't explained yet. 
which is really cool, where you think it's just somebody's touching a card, but then suddenly, no, it's not. You're just seeing from a different point of view, and it has nothing to do with the cards. And you're like, wait, where did that chapter just come from? Mm-hmm. And so that was it was a way to keep you off your game a little bit. It still just feels weird that it has to come through a freaking poker-like card game. Not even poker-like, straight-up Yu-Gi-Oh-like card game. Or Magic Gathering. Hmm. Okay. But hey, it it worked, and I'm still reading them. I don't know. I don't. I don't have any other points. I just wanted to rant about those books for a bit. I I think you did well. I think it was a good rant. I need you. I need you to start reading the Expanse books, so I have somebody else to talk about them with. Because there's only a couple books left, and I'm freaking out about them. Oh, I'll just do what I did in high school and uh, watch the movie version. That's okay, but like, uh, there are I'm the just book. Hard the time. I'm not Amazon show. The Amazon show for the Expanse has gotten to season four or book four, which, as we've talked about, this author that they keep like upping the stakes every single time, mm-hmm. so you can't even believe it. And book five, just it takes every like. Every idea you've had about how you can even craft an ongoing series and it was just like, or, you know, we could throw this giant wrench into the middle of the storytelling progress in book five of like eight. And you're just like, what? It, but uh, you can't do that. And that's how the whole fifth book ha- like felt. And so I cannot wait for next season of the Amazon show. But I need you to read the books and experience that with me. So you have like a year to read five books. All right, you I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can, but I think that wraps us up for that. Yeah, for like the five of you who stuck around, thank you. Um, we'll keep throwing these random rants in there as I finish more books or Stephen finishes more books. <laughs> so you can read along with us. Story time. Sit on your circle square. Read along mm. with us. Joel will read out loud. Joel will not read out loud because sim- he will somehow do that out of tune. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.